Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a lovely, lovely lady called Janine Worth, spelt with a I in the Worth for the surname. And she is currently living and working in Germany. Good morning, Janine. Good morning, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And Janine, you are a healing therapy coach, is that right? I'm a licensed psychotherapist, a clinical hypnotherapist and a coach specializing in unresolved trauma and painful life experiences. Wow. So how did you actually come to be passionate about doing the work that you do? You know, is, is, is this something that you can share? Is there a bit of a, an interesting backstory as to how you came to be doing what you're doing? Yes. So I myself had a very um, traumatic childhood, you know, very unsettled, moving around a lot, um, issues with parents who had sort of their own issues to work through. Mm. And then the actual day that I got my driver's license, I was 18 years old, Did it was a Monday, I did my driver's license that morning and that evening I decided I wanted to go out and celebrate with my friends. And um, that same night I got hijacked, kidnapped, and then also survived an attempted rape at gunpoint. So leading on from that experience, I developed PTSD, which I only discovered about a week afterwards because this was, you know, back in the day before social media and all of that. And the police had had a shootout with the people that attacked us and had managed to get my car back. And about a week after this, I was sitting in my car on a parking lot waiting and a friend who didn't know what had happened to me creeped up onto my car and slammed his hand down on my driver window as a joke. And in that moment, I just felt, you know, this pure terror. My heart was racing. It felt like I was going to have a panic attack. And I thought, okay, well, this is not okay. I don't want to start my adult life like this or be afraid to go out or be affected by someone trying to play a joke on me kind of thing. So that led me to go and see a therapist myself. And I was diagnosed with PTSD. And what was really interesting to me is in that first conversation, obviously I had to tell, you know, about the hijacking, kidnapping and attempted rape, but he also asked me questions about my childhood, my upbringing. And so of course I had to speak about that. And he said to me, I believe that your traumatic childhood actually ended up saving your life. 
And that hit me like a ton of bricks because up until that moment, I had never had gratitude for my experiences. I felt that, you know, it was really unfair when I looked at my friends and saw how their family was compared to mine. And he said to me, the resilience that you had built up in your childhood and this belief that you can only count on yourself when it came down to it and a man was holding a gun to your head and said, take your clothes off you stepped up and you know in that moment when that happened i actually told my attacker that he would have to shoot me first and in that moment i meant it because you know i was 18 years old i had i wasn't married i didn't have any children or dependents or anything like that and it was as if something in me snapped because you know people talk about the fight flight or freeze moment and mine was fight which of course I only found out in that moment. And he said, had I had this picture perfect childhood and had never had to sort of rely on myself, he said, maybe you would have just done whatever he wanted and maybe you wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with me because I noticed when I told my attacker, you will have to shoot me first. This completely through him. You could see on his face, he was so confused because that's not how it's supposed to go. I'm supposed to beg, plead, cry, you know, and basically beg for my life. And because I didn't react as he was expecting, he didn't know what to do. That's so interesting because like you say, our life experiences do teach us a hell of a lot. And, you know, obviously, if they're very negative experiences, we don't, unless we have um, this education about the awareness of um, what not to um, appreciate or, or what to appreciate. And the thing is that when it comes to gratitude, even though we've had some very serious challenges in our lives, quite often we can look back in hindsight and be, find something to be grateful for around those situations, can't we? Even, even that situation you was in there, you know, in terms of how you're now helping other women, you know, cope with their trauma has led to you to doing what you're doing and something you can be grateful for. Yes, because what I discovered is, you know, um, my own mother had experienced trauma and unfortunately didn't get the help that she needed. And of course, then I developed PTSD. And this got me so interested in trauma, PTSD, CPTSD, you know, complex PTSD. And I knew from personal experience that this unresolved trauma and these painful life experiences, the emotional baggage from that shows up in every single area of our lives. It shows up in the way that we parent. It shows up in our personal relationships. It shows up in our performance, in our careers. So I knew that I wanted to specialize in trauma and I knew that I wanted to work with women because women are the last ones to reach out and ask for help. And quite often, um, you know, I don't, I don't know about yourself, but I mean, I was born in 1960, so I'm actually 60 years old now, and I experienced trauma in my teens. And in those days, you know, um, you know, I was conditioned to be seen and not heard. So I never even spoke about it until I was 42 years old. Yes. 
And I think that's the case with a lot of people is, you know, because that's also the age range, you know, where my own mother experienced trauma. And in that time, it was something that people just either ignored or swept under the carpet or, you know, try to, well, okay, that happened to you, but don't make a big deal out of it or were embarrassed to talk about it. So it's only recently, maybe in the last 10 years, that people have really started coming forward and speaking about their experiences. Because a lot of people think that they're the only ones mm. when the reality is I have not met anybody who has, had not, who has not experienced some form of trauma. Yeah, it's it's quite true. And, um, you know, I think at least, you know, where women are concerned, um, you know, certainly for me, uh, you know, in the era I was born, you know, um, it wasn't the done thing to speak about it. So I never reported what happened. And, um, you know, I kept it internalized. And, and that obviously did impact my future relationships. But um, I didn't realize that, you know, how I was impacting them until I've you know obviously been on that journey of working on myself and working through it but it's so interesting now that um, you know women are now finding their voices and speaking out and uh, these perpetrators are being brought to account now. Yes I think it's wonderful because you know it's only in unity that we can really affect change. And when we're all suffering alone in silence, change doesn't happen. I mean, a good example is um, Harvey Weinstein recently, you know, mm. if, if these women didn't come forward and stick together and tell their story, he would have gotten away with it because money and fame and influence have in the past always been used against the survivors to make them keep quiet and I think that the times are really changing and people are realizing that money and power and influence cannot protect you. And not only that, I think, you know, usually if you've been through that sort of trauma as well, I think the perpetrators are relying on your own shame and humiliation and, you know, yes. for me, feeling I was stupid for putting myself in that situation, if you like. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of self-blame and guilt around that that, that you, you have to deal with as well, isn't there? Yes. And, you know, I always tell my clients that their silence is helping their tormentors get away with what they're doing. Mm. Because coming forward and speaking up, that takes a lot of courage. But it also helps these women take back their power. Yeah, absolutely. So when you speak to um, your clients about how un their unresolved trauma is sabotaging their relationships, Janine, um, in what way does this show itself that you've witnessed quite commonly, if you can share, you know, uh, what those things are with our audience? Sure. So very often when women have been abused in their childhood, they have trust and intimacy issues, you know, um, especially if it's sexual abuse or sexual assault, they can find that it's difficult for them to be intimate 
with their partner, even if it's someone that they love dearly and want that connection with. Mm -hmm. um, in that moment, you know, they can have flashbacks or feel fear because if somebody that you know and trust abused you, obviously, if you know and trust your partner, you would think, well, I knew and trusted that person as well, especially when it's primary caregivers, you know, uh, fathers, grandfathers, cousins, brothers, that kind of thing. People who are not supposed to hurt you, who are supposed to love you unconditionally, protect you, that kind of thing. Another way that it shows up is if women, for instance, have had fathers who are, uh, addicts of some sort, you know, alcoholics or drug abuse issues or um, become physically violent towards them or their mothers is that that is their normal because they are so used to seeing that in their childhood that very often they will seek out partners with the same issues. It comes back to that saying, um, the devil that you know, and that is sort of the conditioning that they've received. They know how to deal with that sort of person, you know, because that has been their whole history. Other issues that can come up is, you know, not feeling good enough. If you had parents that maybe weren't even abusive, you know, that maybe just weren't emotionally available and made you feel that you're not good enough. If you have a relationship and that feeling of not being good enough gets triggered by, for instance, your partner, that can open up that whole childhood wound. And that's where people start reacting in ways that they usually regret afterwards, you know, where they think, why did I react like that? And a lot of the time my clients will say it was like they weren't even in control of themselves. It was just this automatic reaction. They got triggered, reacted, and their partner was standing there like, what just happened? Mm. And so a woman can actually end up sabotaging their relationships because who, you know, when we enter into a relationship, each partner has their own life experiences, their own emotional baggage. And when we are not working through that and we're not having these open, deep conversations saying, you know, when you make me feel like that, this hurts me. It brings up all of this. There's a lot of people that don't want to talk about that. They just want to be in the honeymoon phase and, you know, go on dates and rose petals and vacations and all of these things. We end up triggering each other constantly. And that makes it very difficult to have a good relationship because you don't know when you're going to be triggered and how you're going to react to it. And 99% of the time that reaction is an awful reaction. You know, people get embarrassed and they think, oh my goodness, why did I say that? Why did I shout? Why did I maybe throw that vase? You know, it brings out all these negative things about our personalities. And then we get embarrassed. The partner doesn't know how to react and sort of this continuous cycle where we're constantly triggering each other. 
I can so relate to what you're saying because um, I can remember when I was about 12 or 13 years old and like you said, um, you know, even our parents' relationships can have a massive, huge positive or negative impact on us and my parents were those parents who fought continuously day in, Mm. day out. Uh, You know, that was just the norm. (laughs) And I can remember my dad, uh, you know, uh, having a real shouting match with my mum and my mum just storming off out, which was quite a regular thing now in how she dealt with that. And my dad saying to me, go and run after your mum, Lynn, and, um, you know, tell her to come back. So I did, I ran after her and, you know, asked her to come back and she she turned around and she almost spat in my face and said, leave me alone, she said. I wish you'd never been born. And you know what? Mm. Those words really cut deep and I never forgot them. But, you know, I knew now that I'm older that and been able to rationalise it, that she didn't mean it. You know, I think it was words that were said on the back of her own hurt and her feeling trapped in a relationship, which was obviously very unhealthy. And having mm. children, obviously, in those days, she felt tighter to that relationship as well. Uh, yes. And it was said, you know, from from that place, uh, and we have resolved that issue now. But I can remember when I was working through stuff when I was a bit older, that this led to me believing that my own mother didn't love me, and therefore, if my own mother didn't love me, you know, how can I love myself? And and then, then on the back of that, how can other people love me? Yes. And I see that quite often because, you know, we are taught that our parents are supposed to love us unconditionally. And when you have that feeling that that isn't true, children take it personally because they think, well, what is wrong with me? Why am I so inadequate that the person who's supposed to love me above everything else can't? And they take that into their relationships. And, you know, when you believe that there's something wrong with you and that you're not lovable, usually it means that you're not choosing high quality partners. You're settling because you think you don't deserve better. Or if that partner then treats you badly, you think, well, that's all that I'm worth. I deserve this in some way. And, you know, you seeing your parents fighting all the time and your mother leaving to try and escape that situation, that can become a conditioning behavior where you think it's normal that people shout at each other and then, you feel the need to escape or the the need to leave, which makes it very difficult for the other person because how can you discuss and work through things if that person has this fear that you will leave at any second? Yeah, and uh, it makes perfect sense. So if you've got, you know, somebody that's talking to you about, you know, um, they're repeating this pattern of sabotaging their relationships what's the first thing you know you you suggest to address and resolve that situation for them so usually when i work with a client i will start with taking um their their history you know i want to know what was the relationship with their their mom and their dad like do they have siblings what was that relationship like you know how were they teenage years were they bullied at school did they have any issues like eating disorders drug usage all of that so that i have an idea of what issues can come up 
and what needs to be addressed. And then the way that I use hypnotherapy is I actually use it in regression. They choose a topic. So if someone says that, you know, they feel that they're not good enough or they feel that they need to self-sabotage their relationship, if it's going you know, very well, I'll actually put them into hypnosis and take them back to the time where they had that feeling for the first time, you know, where the, the time, place and event where that came into their life the first time, we'll call that the trigger. And then other events where, because how the subconscious mind works is once it has this negative belief, it goes out of its way to provide you with evidence as to why this is true. So for instance, I once had a client who had this belief that she just wasn't good enough. And the evidence that kept on showing up for her was not being chosen for sports teams, not being invited to birthday parties, not being chosen for school plays, all of this that her mind, her subconscious then took as evidence saying, see, I told you, you're just not good enough. And going through and finding these experiences and then helping the client to process the emotion that we've attached to these experiences. Obviously, specializing in trauma, I hear the worst of the worst stories. Women that have been, you know, raped or abused in some form. And the body heals, broken bones heal, bruises heal. But what happens is that the subconscious mind attaches emotions to these events, whether it's a big newsworthy trauma or the little traumas like being told, I wish you were never born. You know, that's not going to land you on the front page of a newspaper, but it scars you emotionally. And helping them to process all these emotions. I tell them that you can imagine that your subconscious is like an attic that you want to renovate. I know you have this attic, it's full of furniture and you want to turn it into a home office. Want every single day of your life, all of your experiences is like collecting a piece of furniture that you've stored in there. And before we can start the renovation work, we first need to go in there and clean it out and decide which beliefs are positive and we want to keep them and which are junk that we need to get rid of and to process and work through. And once we've done that and gotten rid of all the negative beliefs, the junks, the, the childhood conditioning, that's where the coaching part comes in. And that's the renovation stage because you can't start painting and making something beautiful if it's piled up to the roof with junk. Um, that's so true. Yeah. And um, yeah, I like the attic analogy. I quite often use, you know, as is typical in, in language around these sorts of subjects, you know, the baggage, you know, and, and mm. just getting rid of the baggage, you know, the baggage that um, isn't serving you anymore and, and identifying what that is and, and letting it go and going through a process where they're able to identify it and let it go and just take the learning forward rather than the baggage. Yes. You know, I always tell my clients, you can't change what you're not willing to admit. Because if you're not willing to admit that certain things are a trigger for you, how are you ever going to change that? 
you know, and if you're not willing to change your reaction to certain things, how are you going to improve the quality of your life, your relationship, you know, the performance in your job, anything that you want to work on, you first have to take a really hard, honest look at it and say, you know what, I'm responding in this way and I don't want to anymore. That is a decision because you are, if you're not choosing to change that, you are choosing to accept it. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's true as well that sometimes we're not even aware that we are the ones that are being triggered and what it is that is triggering us. And quite often we can blame our partners, can't we? For, yes. And point the finger out externally, you know, as to it's them, it's them, it's them, rather than, you know, asking ourselves a better question, you know, how am I contributing to this? Yes, because, you know, I don't think that our partners go out of their way to intentionally trigger us. They don't get up in the morning and say, Ooh, how can I trigger Lynn today? <laughs> you know, if that is the kind of partner that you have, I would ask you to start looking at your life decisions. <laughs> but you know, when we are in relationships with people who really do love us and really do want the best for us, they don't do these things intentionally. And in the heat of the moment, it's very difficult to forget that because we are just so in it and in the pain and, you know, the emotional overwhelm of the situation that we forget that and we react to defend ourselves. And that's where the issues come up because then we are hurting each other, not intentionally, but we do hurt each other because sometimes you say or do things that you can't take back. Mm. Yes. And when when the trust in the relationship isn't there anymore, it's really difficult because that should be the solid base of any relationship. Yes, most definitely. So, Janine, this has been a, a very fascinating conversation and one I can relate to so much and have um, you know, that similar history that I can actually draw my own experiences around so thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your experiences as well as you know sharing some interesting facts and stats around some client case scenarios as well so for audience members who would love to get in touch with you what would be the best contact information Sure. So I have a private online support group on Facebook that's called Heal and Transform Your Life. It's for women only and you need to be interested in self-development and working through these things that you feel are holding you back. So I've created this non-judgmental space for women there. My website is just www.janineworth worth with an i.com and then i would also like to offer your audience a hypnosis audio that is called heal your inner child and that's to help them deal with some of the emotional baggage especially from their childhood excellent well thank you so much for offering our audience that gift that gift again that Janine's just offered is called Heal Your Inner Child. It's a hypnosis 
and we'll make sure that that link is put in our show notes together with any other contact information that Janine shares. So once again, Janine, thank you. That's been a really interesting and very insightful conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've had a wonderful time with you. And on that note, listeners, I'm just going to repeat as usual that true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.